Watermark, how we doing? Hey, my name is JP, Jonathan Pecluda. So great to be with you today, uh, diving into God's word. And so I want to start with just a question for you. Uh, how many of you have ever been on a cruise? Okay. So a, a lot of you, you've been on a cruise. Okay. How many of you like never want to go on a cruise again, or that's not your thing. You never want to do. Okay. I see you. All right, man. It must've been that boat that tipped over. Huh? Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. And then how many of you are like, Hey, if I could go on any vacation, I'd want it to be a cruise. Like I, I just love the cruises. Okay. There's some of you too. All right. Pretty evenly spaced out. I'm firmly in that last camp. Like uh, I had never been to a beach before other than Port Aransas. And, uh, when, and so can I call that a beach? Is that a beach? And, and so then Monica and I got to go on a cruise and uh, it, I just wasn't ready for it. It was amazing. Like this is incredible. It's like this way, really cool uh, hotel room on a boat, you know, and there's shows like Vegas shows or like Broadway shows that you can go and watch at night and the food you can eat all you want whenever you want. There's a dessert bar and there was a magician. Come on, a magician. Like we went and saw a guy do magic on a boat in the middle of the ocean and there's a basketball court and a tennis court and a track, like in case you want to run on vacation, if you're that kind of sick person. And <laughs> And there's all kind. There was there was a, there's a casino. There was a blackjack tournament. I won. I wouldn't do that today. But then I wasn't in ministry. Yeah, black, well, I won the tournament. And and there were all these things that you, we played bingo. Like you bingo. You know, won a prize. That's cool. And there was karaoke. There you karaoke on a boat. It even had boys to men. And so you know, I tore that up. And we had so much fun. And then we went to Cancun, which was beautiful. It's like the, the crystal clear water, the sugar white sand, like the destination was great, but you don't go on a cruise just to get to the destination. Like the cruise is all about the journey to the destination and all the benefits and the adventures that you can go on while you're moving toward the destination. Because if we just wanted to get to Cancun, like we could have bought a plane ticket but we wanted to go on an adventure. And I think this is the mistake that so many of us make with faith. That we think faith is a ticket to a destination. It is. It is that. It is a ticket to an amazing destination. But it is so much more than that. And if you just think it's that, you are missing out on all of the benefits and all of the adventure that you get to partake in with your faith as you move toward that destination. What we get to do here, what we get to enjoy here. And so that's what I want to talk with us about from God's word. Are you taking advantage of the benefits and the adventure of your faith because if you are it will impact where you go it will impact what you do and it will impact how you will be remembered there's this verse in the scripture that some of us get tripped up over it's James 2 verse 26 it says that faith without works is dead or faith without deeds is dead. And I don't know why that's such a stumbling block for some, 
because it's very self-explanatory. Like if I have a man and he doesn't have life, he's dead. If I have a heart and it's not beating, it's dead. And if you have a faith and it's not doing, it's dead. That the essence of faith is it has to work itself out. It has to to display itself in this world. It has to to be seen. It has to, to show itself. This is what faith in its very essence is, a belief in Jesus Christ, that he came back from the grave, that he died for our sins, and that we will live with him forever. And so how can we say we have a faith, and how can we call ourselves Christ followers or Christians and yet not follow Christ? And how can we say that we believe there's a big God and his plans are perfect and he has these amazing plans for us, but not trust his plans? And how can we say that this world is all about Jesus and I just want to make as much of an impact for Jesus as I possibly can and yet live this world for ourselves and really make it about us? And so there's three groups here this morning. There's some of you that say you have a faith, but you're not taking advantage of it. You're not getting the benefits of that faith. And I want to challenge you today to live today and tomorrow until you go to be with Jesus by that faith. And there's some of you here today that you don't have a faith. You haven't answered the question yet, who is Jesus? Who is he? What has he done for you? Is he he real? Did he really die? Did he really come back to life? Did that really happen 2,018 years ago? And then there's some of you. I'm looking out there and I see some of you. You have a faith. And you're living by that faith. And you're reaping the benefits of that faith. And you're living on the adventure of that faith. And to you, I just want to say, keep going. I'm so proud of you. It's such a privilege to be yoked with you here in this body. Keep going, keep being that example. And so how do you know if you're using your faith? You know, it's like, what is your life marked by? Are you constantly worried about the future, saying that you can trust in a God, but not trusting in him? Is your life in the moments marked by anxiety or or panic or, or concerns with what's going to happen next? Do you feel hopeless? Do you wonder if God is going to show up? Or do you find yourself going the way of the world? See, without faith, we despair. We find ourselves in this moment where we don't know if we can really trust in this God that we say that we believe in. And so I'm just going to ask you three questions to help you know if you're using your faith today. Three questions that will help you know if you're using your faith today. And so the benefits of our faith, like I said, it impacts where you go, what you do, and how you're remembered. And so to say it plainly, do you have faith to follow Do you have faith to forego? And do you have the faith to be forgotten? I'm going to show you a character. I'm going to be in John chapter 6 if you want to turn there. John chapter 6. This is a very famous miracle of Jesus. It's the feeding of the 5,000. If you've been in church long, you've heard this taught. You've read it. Maybe you've seen a felt board something or other, you know, in Sunday school once upon a time of this story, Jesus feeding the 5,000. But I want to teach it from a different perspective, really focus on the context of this passage. And I want to focus specifically on this boy. There's a boy in this text. And I want to look at him. 
And I want to teach this uh, observing some things about his life. It will be different if you've ever heard on this before, because I think if we can follow some of the things that this character does, we can find meaning, we can find purpose, we can find peace, and even happiness or joy. Verse 1. Sometime after this, so a new chapter, new idea, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And so here's what's going on. Jesus is on one side of the Sea of Galilee. He's moving to the other side and everyone's following him because they, they've seen what this guy is like. Hey, that's, that's Jesus. Okay. Hey, he's going over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Do you have a boat I can borrow? You know, Hey, let's, let's jump in your boat. Hey, I'm just going to swim. Like, let's go. And so Jesus is moving across this lake and everyone's following him. I don't know if you saw Tiger and uh, the tournament last week. Anybody see Tiger Woods? Yeah, this, is, this is a picture of him. Like, and you see the crowds, the massive crowds following him. This is what it must have been like at this moment to be Jesus. He can't get away from the people. They just want to be near him. If he's going to the other side of the lake, they're going to the other side of the lake. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat. He asked this only to test him, for he already knew, had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus, being a compassionate God, looks up. It's like, man, there's so many people, and they're far from home, and they probably didn't bring food, and we got to eat. Philip, what are we going to do? But it says that Jesus was just testing him because he knew what he was going to do. See, I think that Jesus woke up thinking about this young man. And how this young man, he was going to use this young man to meet the needs of all the people. You're about to meet this boy. But I want to insert that I think Jesus woke up thinking about how he was going to use this boy today. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite, Jesus. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Okay, let me just say this here. There's so many details in this text. Okay, we know when it was because of the, the Passover feast. We know where it was because of the Sea of Galilee, where they went. You're about to see a grassy field was there. You got Philip. You got Andrew. You know who Andrew's brother is. Like, there's so many details in this text. We could completely recreate this text. We could completely recreate this scene. So Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? It's interesting that most likely that Andrew and Philip, commentary said, most scholars agree that Andrew and Philip, they would have had food with them. You know, if they're going to go on a day's journey with Jesus, they're going to pack a lunch. They've learned this. And so they, they probably had food with them. And so they're not like, here, Jesus, take, take our stuff and figure out how you can use it to feed them. They're like, uh, there's a boy over here. He's got some, he's got, his mom packed him a lunch. He's got some food. Maybe we could take his food. Jesus. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Scholars agree that would mean about fifteen to 20,000 people 
when you include the women and the children, about 15 to 20,000 people are present. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege it is to get in your word today. Thank you for the examples of those in the scripture, those who have gone before us that we can learn from. Father, I pray that you would make this place a safe place to learn, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that your Holy Spirit would intersect with my words and that you would change lives. Thank you that you are a God that we can trust. Protect us from the enemy now and allow us to feast on your word and your example. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus goes to the other side of the lake. Crowds are following him, gets out begins to teach, sees lots of people there, realizes they don't have anything to eat, says, hey, we need to do something. His disciples are like, hey, there's nothing we can do. We can't afford the food. One of them's like, oh, there's a boy with five pieces of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, have everyone sit down. And if you've ever heard this taught, you've heard it focused on the miracle because it's an incredible miracle. But today I want to focus on this young man. Why did this young man follow Jesus? He woke up that day and he could have been anywhere. He could have been doing anything, but he said, I want to follow Jesus, right? He could have been checking the market, watching the stocks. He could have been working. He could have been hanging out with his his neighbors, getting a, a group of parents together after school. He could have been playing Fortnite, right? This kid, because they had that back then. And so he could have been doing all kinds of things. He could have been at the skate park or shopping at the mall, but he woke up this day and he said, I want to follow Jesus. There is a man and he's doing incredible things and I want to spend my day following him. Mom, pack me a lunch. And that's my first question for you is do you use your faith to follow Jesus? Do you use your faith to follow Jesus? And with that, I would just ask you, what are you tempted to follow in the world? To say in another way, what kept you out of God's word yesterday? This boy could have been sleeping. He could have hit the snooze one more time. Right? But he said, you know what? I want to go see who this man is. I want to go hang out with Jesus. And so what keeps you from showing up to community group, right? What keeps you from following Jesus? What keeps you from diving deeper in church? What's keeping you from serving right now? What's keeping you from coming to church? Talking to those of you streaming online right now. (laughs) What keeps you from following Jesus? And why not use this faith that we have that is otherworldly to go 100% in with him? Is it money? Is it success? Is it relationships? Is it being liked? Is it kids soccer? Is it approval? Is it status? Is it friends? Is it supervisors? Is it family? What is it for you? What are you following? And it might be some really important stuff. It may be really good stuff that's just other than Jesus stuff. In Luke chapter 9, 
Jesus looks at a guy and says, hey, follow me. And he says, okay, you know, I, I will, but first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And we, you, I, what I love about Jesus, he's not confusing. When he says, when he looks at you and he says, hey, follow me, what he means is at all cost, you prioritize him. And to another, he said, follow me. He says, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, why would creator God and his Holy Spirit preserve that text for thousands of years so that we can read it today? Because I think when Jesus says, follow him, he's not messing around. And he wants you to know that. He wants you to follow him. And so what do we follow? What I see by my observation, something that I think we follow is, is our preferences. That, that we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. That we want to say what we want to say when we want to say. That we want to go where we want to go whenever we want to go there. And we don't want to be inconvenienced. And so we just kind of, whatever, however we feel in a moment, we do that. And we follow our preferences. And so I would just say to you, don't let your preferences rob you of paradise. You can write that down. Don't let your preferences rob you of paradise. When I say paradise, I don't just mean heaven. I mean getting to enjoy eternal life today. Don't let your preferences rob you of paradise. Pursue what God desires. This is really the essence of spiritual maturity. Like growing up is not just following your every impulse. Not following your feelings in any given moment. As Todd has said before, feelings are real. But feelings are not always Reliable. Yes, God gives us our emotions, but we need to conform those feelings to his desires. This is spiritual maturity. We know this because we see kids, right? Like kids follow their every impulse. I've had three young kids, right? I mean, sometimes I think they walk into a room and they look around and they're like, what is the dumbest thing I could possibly do right now? <laughs> it's like, but buddy, buddy, why, why are you putting a hole in the couch? Why are you doing that? Don't. Don't do that. Why did you take a cup full of liquid and turn it upside down? What, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I felt like it. <laughs> okay. But what you felt like doing may not be what's best. It may not be the best thing for you to do. Sometimes when we follow our feelings, we find ourselves in bad relationships. We find ourselves stuck in addiction. We find ourselves stuck in materialism. We're slaves to approval, performance. It could be pornography, masturbation. It could be all kinds of pursuit of pleasures that we can't stop pursuing. Like we wanted the freedom to do something, so we did it. And now we can't stop doing it. We're slave to it. Because when you follow sin... It seeks to make you its slave. You can write that down. When you follow sin, it seeks to make you its slave. But Christ came to set you free from sin. A story I like to tell here that to, 
the best of my ability to verify seems to be true is a story about Abraham Lincoln. And there was a slave auction in Lincoln's day and he went to it. And he sat in the back and on the slave block being auctioned, being sold for property was a human being, a young lady. She had a shackle around her neck, around her hands and her feet. And Lincoln stood in the back and he bid on her. And she looked out and she saw another white man that just wanted to own her as his property and use her and abuse her. Lincoln continued to bid, ultimately winning the auction, purchasing this person as his property. And he goes up to her and they unshackle her and he says, you are free. And she says, what do you mean I'm free? He says, you're free. Are you saying I'm free to say whatever I want to say? Yes, young lady, you are free to say whatever you want to say. Are you saying I'm free to do whatever I want to do? Yes, ma'am. You're free to do whatever you want to do. And now with tears in her eyes, she says, are you saying I'm free to go wherever I want to go? Yes, you may go wherever you want to go. And she looks at him and she says, then I will go with you. Because if you're going to offer me that kind of freedom, if that's what you're about, then I want to follow you. And why I say that is because there's nothing else in this world that you're going to follow that is going to lead you to the kind of freedom that Jesus Christ offers. Anything else that you're going to give your life for, anything that you're going to prioritize over spending time with Jesus is not going to leave you to lead you to the freedom that Christ offers you. And so if you are not intentionally doing everything you can to prioritize following Jesus, then you might have a faith, but you're not enjoying the benefits of it. You're missing out. And this faith that you have, it may mean, it might mean giving up your plans. Verse eight, another of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go so, among so many? See, if I was this boy and I was here, I'd be like, guys, I packed my lunch. Like, why do I got to give up my food? Because you guys weren't responsible. Like, you knew we were going to the other side of the lake. Like, wait, why? You want my food? Like, no, this is my food. And here you have God in the flesh saying, give it to me. And sometimes I think we're like, why? Why do I have to do that? My second question is, do you use your faith to forego your plans? This boy had plans to eat. He packed his lunch. He was ready to go. And can you think of a time when you were excited about your plans and it seems like God is saying no? No. And you're looking at God really like, like, really? Like you want to take my lunch? Do you want my food? And so we forego what we think life is about to find out what life God has for us. And he has a, a, an amazing life 
planned for you. I believe that, each of you. God has an amazing life planned for you when you follow him. I was in sales for a number of years, and in sales, there was a tactic we would use called the if-then statement, very powerful sales tool, if-then. Anybody know the if-then statement? In case some of you have been trained uh, in sales. And so it just goes like this, like um, if the customer says, well, you know, can it, does it come in red? And you would say, if I can get it in red, then would you purchase it? Question, if then. If I could do that, then would you buy? If I can, then would you? And I think we do this if-then statement with God. Like if I go to school and I get good grades, then you're going to give me a good job. And if I save myself for marriage and I pursue purity, then you're going to make sure that I get married in a timely fashion. And if I get married and I'm faithful, then you're going to give me children. And if I go to church and I take them, then you're going to make sure that they turn out well. And I I don't want to be confusing because God does bless obedience, but God doesn't make deals. He does bless obedience, but he doesn't make deals. He's not signing up for the if-then statement. And sometimes God wants to take what you have to give you something better. And it may take you a long time. Maybe a long, long time. Maybe not until you're with him to see that what you have and what he gave you was better. But we may need to forego our plans. A couple asked me to do their, their wedding once, and I met with them, and as we were having conversations, because I didn't know them, and so I was like, hey, let's meet. I'd love to get to know you. And as we were meeting, it was apparent that they were living together, and they were ashamed to say that. I'm like, oh, I don't know how you feel. It's like, hey, you know, I don't know what you think about that. And I said, well, it doesn't matter what I think about that, you know. I just would love to share with you what God thinks about that, you know. His, his opinion is much more important than mine. And, and I said, and there's some secular data I can show you that supports this, you know, that, that couples who live together have a, a 98% chance of failing. Nine, you know, that means if I got 100 couples, that two of them make it. And so this seems like there's, you know, data that support God's value and what he calls us to. And they said, man, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. But it would be crazy for us to move out now. I mean, the wedding is so close. It's so close. Like, it would be crazy for us to move out at this point. I said, man, you're right. It's so close. For you to pack up all your stuff and to get two places, two addresses, I don't even know how you do that. I mean, that would be hard. It would, it would definitely be crazy unless it was an act of faith. And if it was an act of faith, it would be faithful. And the world would look at you and say, hey, that was crazy, but... But man, you must really believe in this God that you say that you believe in. See, because Romans 14 verse 23 says that everything that does not come from faith is sin. How clear is that? Everything that does not come from faith is sin. So if you're ever playing this game, well, is it sin? Is it not sin? Is it sin? Is it not sin? You say, well, does it come from faith? 
And how faithful can I be? Because the things that I do in faith glorify and honor the Father. And so does it come from faith or not? Am I operating in faith or not? And when we live by faith and we begin to realize that the stuff and the status and the relationships and the money and the resources and the things that we have, we actually have been given from God, given to us by God for God, that we would use for God so that we can use those things to make much of God because this life that we live momentarily is all about God. And so following Jesus might mean foregoing a higher paying job so that you can be more involved in your church or, or, or more present with your family. It may mean that. For following Jesus might mean foregoing a vacation so that you can take that, those resources and redeploy them to help those around you. That is the adventure. That is the benefit of being a Christ follower different from those who are in the world. Following Jesus might mean foregoing your preferences or a hobby that requires time so that you can serve. That you would live the adventure of the Christian life by faith. What am I saying? I want you to let go of your plans and seek God's. And he may be asking you to give up your dreams. Maybe the dream of a wife or a husband if you're single. Maybe the dream of children as you thought so that you could foster, adopt, start an orphanage. I understand that these are sensitive. I, I really do. I really do. I know these are sensitive topics. I just don't want you to lead with your preference. But seek God's. And the crazy thing that I have the audacity to tell you is I think you're going to be better because of it. Happier because of it more full of joy whenever you get to a place where you're like, God, I trust your ways are better than my ways. And we're here to help. I'm not leaving you out there to flail alone, struggling through this, because I know we can't just change our feelings on a dime. We can't just change the way that we feel and the things that we love. It takes time and community and a work of the Holy Spirit. But what I'm telling you is God's not ripping you off. He's seeking to give you something better, even if he's taking the food from your hands. Even if he's taking the food from your hands. Peter learned this from Jesus himself. He said, hey, Jesus, we left everything we had to follow you. Jesus says back, you don't, you don't understand, Peter. No one who's left home or wife, or brothers, or sisters, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. See, eternal life, that's the great equalizer, right? We get up there and we're like, hey, hey, really, like cancer, are you serious? I had to suffer down there? 76 years suffering? Enjoy everything I have for the next 76 billion years. 
And then once you enjoyed it for the next 76 billion years, enjoy it for 76 billion more because all of this is yours forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you were down there, you got to live for this for, by faith forever and ever and ever and ever. And I say that so harshly in hopes to awaken it in us, a belief, a reminder that we know that we can do that, that that's true, right? Because I think that we think that if we just give up, we'd never get back. And we focus so much on what we're, we're foregoing and not what we're finding in Christ. And it's like this boy, he's like, why do I gotta give up my food? This kid got to eat. He got to eat more than he would have eaten. It says everyone had their fill. It wasn't like he didn't get to eat and, and he may not have liked his mom's bread. Like maybe he was doing a whole 30 or something and he wanted extra fish. Maybe he was on the keto diet, you know, and he's like, give me the fish. I don't want the bread, but I, you know what? Instead of two, uh, I'm going to have six fish. Like he could have chosen, like that's what Jesus allowed to happen. And not just him, but then everybody had their fill. And he's got a story, the adventure. He gets home. Mom's like, hey, how was your day, honey? <laughs> Did you have enough to eat? Mom, you won't believe it. 15,000 people ate my lunch today. <laughs> oh, honey, come here. It's hot outside. I see you. <laughs> no, mom, 15,000 people ate your leftovers. That's what happened. This Jesus guy, mom, this Jesus. Remember I told you I was going to follow him. You were like, hey, can you do this? I said, no, I got to go follow Jesus. Remember I told you that? Mom, you won't believe what he did. If you're not foregoing your plans to seek God's, you might have a faith, but you're not enjoying the benefits of it. Verse 12, when they, all, when they had all had enough to eat, they had enough, everyone had enough to eat. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over, left over from those who had eaten. Everybody had enough. And God is a good God who seeks to give good gifts to his children. But who is this boy? Who is he? You know, this story shows up in all four Gospels. Very rare. I mean, not very rare, but pretty rare that a story, a miracle account, shows up in all four Gospels. Because these are different eyewitness accounts, and different people observed different details and wrote down different things. One of the ways we know this is true but this story, it shows up in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all have this story. And so we can, as I said, recreate this story because of how many amazing details we have from this story. We know where they were, when they were there. We know the geography, what the landscape looked like, who was there, and whose brother they were. But did you know that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it doesn't even mention this boy? No mention of where the food comes from in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And here in John, John chapter 6, we know it came from a boy. Because of this detail that John adds, there's a young man who gave up his food. Five barley loaves, two fish. And we know who Andrew is, and we know whose brother he is, and we know who Philip is, and Jesus, and, and there's 15,000 people. We don't know who this boy is. He's forgotten. Do you use your faith to be forgotten? Third question. Do you use your faith 
to be forgotten. If I gave a quiz this morning, I said, hey, who's your favorite Bible character? Who do you want to be like? You might say, David. Came up against Goliath, David. Esther, her faith, you know. Ruth, the way she loved her mother-in-law and would go anywhere, never will I leave you. Maybe Daniel, he prayed, and the lions, so courageous, trusted the angel of the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, burn us up. You know, <laughs> the apostle Paul to live as Christ, to die as King. Who, who do you want to be? None of you, not one of you, no one here, no one listening would have said, man, you know that boy in John 6? Kind of my spiritual hero. <laughs> Wake up every day thinking about him, hope to be like him one day. No, we forget about this guy. And the truth is, you're going to be forgotten just like him. That's the truth. The wealthiest person in here, the most influential person in here, maybe you've got a billion followers on Twitter, Instagram, billion friends, billion dollars, forgotten. I've asked you before, who here knows their great-great-grandfather? You know, tell me his favorite color, what he liked to do for fun, right, his hobbies, your great-great-grandfather, family, not your grandfather or great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, you don't know, and he was alive 50 years ago, 50 years ago he was alive, and here's what that means, is 50 years after you're dead, no one knows who you are, not even your family, you, like everyone else who's lived, is forgotten. And I say that because here's, here's what I want that to do in your heart. That is a huge pressure release valve, okay? You can stop trying so hard to be remembered and to be known and to be liked, and you can just be faithful because you're going to die, and they're going to bury you. And they're going to say some really nice things about you, some of which will be lies, and then they're going to go to the grocery store. <laughs> and that's the truth. But here's the good news. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, none of you will be forgotten. In the eternal sense, because your name is eternally written down in a book that God has. How beautiful is that? that a billion years from now, you still have fellowship with the saints. How beautiful is that? I've been reading a book, in fact, much of the influence of this message comes from a book called Embracing Obscurity. Embracing Obscurity, um, I'd love to tell you who it was by, because that's the question on some of you, well, who's it by? I don't know, uh, because they just wrote anonymous because they embraced obscurity. See what they did there, you know? It's like they, they're practicing what they preach, which I really appreciated. Even that ministered to me, because I also wrote a book. And if I showed it to you, right on the front of the cover, in big, bold letters, it says, Jonathan J.P. Pakluda, real big, so that you would know that I wrote it. And um, once you write a book, you have to tell the world that you wrote a book so that they know so that they can buy the book. And, and that has been so 
difficult. To, to figure out how to walk that line and where is self-promotion and how do you communicate and believe in the message. And just as I've prayed through that, Todd here has been such a shepherd to me in that effort. And in fact, one of the things he said is, JP, you just don't want to ever reach for something, but let it come to you, which is advice to live by, right? Not to reach for something, but to let it come for you. And as I've prayed through this, I'm just like this resource, which I believe in, which I poured my life into with a friend, my friend Kevin, I just sense the Lord saying, what is saying about you, bro? It's not about you. And that, that also is a great message to live your life by. It's not about you. You're not here for you. Somebody here has to be thinking right about now, maybe you went to seminary, and you're like, man, he butchered that text. John 6, like that's not, it's not about the boy. Like you gotta tell us the 12 baskets are like the 12 tribes of Israel and this is the food in the wilderness, the bread in the wilderness, the prophecy fulfilled of Jesus. Like that's what's going, there's so much going on here, JP. You gotta tell them this text is not about the boy, it's about Jesus. And you know what? They're right. This text isn't about the boy. This passage is about what every other passage is about. King Jesus. And so you can stop trying so hard to be king or queen of your world and spend the rest of your minutes worshiping King Jesus. Stop trying to reach for things and let them come to you. In Judges 9, there's a story of a king, Abimelech, who did the opposite of this. You don't need to know much of this other than that he tried to take the throne by force, not letting it come to him, but he wanted to be king. And there's a parable that's told. I want to read it to you. It's a parable that you, you may have never noticed it in Judge, Judges chapter 9. And, and it's just told about trees. And so it's kind of obscure, talking about which tree is going to be king, if you will. It says, one day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? Next, the tree said to the fig tree, come be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, come be our king. But the vine answered, should I give up wine, which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? And finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, come be our king. And here's the point of the parable is you have all of these, this olive tree, fig tree, uh, the, the grapevine saying, hey, we want you to come be our king. We want you to have authority and autonomy and a palace. And they say, why would we do that when we can serve people? When we can live out the purpose that God has intended for us? We don't need to be king. We can simply be whoever God has called us to be and to be faithful in our own circles. I don't need to be known. I need to be faithful. I don't need to get his credit for as much as I possibly can get credit for. I don't need the credit. You can say that in your heart. I don't need credit. If I do something really great and amazing and someone else gets the credit for it, it's okay. It's okay. Just two weeks ago, I was sitting in staff meeting and we were celebrating something that was my idea. 
And they, they went down. They're like, hey, I just want to thank so-and-so. And thank so and you were so faithful. Thank you, so-and-so. And hey, thank you. So and I'm thinking, okay, they're saving the best for last. You know, any minute. And, uh, and they, we want to thank so-and-so and so-and-so. And we want to thank so-and-so. Okay. Okay, and next thing we need to talk about. Oh, hold on. Hold on, because you forgot about me over here. Remember, that was my idea. And, and I wish you could have seen my heart because you wouldn't listen to me right now. It's just so gross, you know, it's so twisted. Like, wait, I've got to get the credit, though. It's so gross. And I was praying and, and reading this, preparing this. And it, was, and it, and it turned like that, that strange insecurity, that huge insecurity turned to gratitude. Like, God, I get to enjoy that with you forever in your kingdom. I don't need credit. I don't need my name said in a silly meeting. Get to enjoy that with you forever. What if we could just live the gospel, die and be forgotten? The pressure's off. We could enjoy life to the glory of God. In summary, what if at all cost you follow Jesus? You went in all in, being developed spiritually. You served here. You lived in community here. You stopped putting things off, and you just went all in to prioritize the things of God. What if you gave up your plans to ask God what his plans are? And what if you didn't need to be known or remembered, but you could live out the gospel die and be forgotten, and that would be a life well lived. It's, it's interesting because when we got back from the cruise, I was such a, a cruise evangelist, like telling everybody, like I kind of am today, you gotta go on a cruise, you know, it was amazing. I was, we were with this other couple, and I'm like, you guys gotta go on a cruise. It's, you've never been, what, what's wrong with you? You gotta go, you know, it's, it, and, uh, and so they heard our testimony, and they said, okay, we're in. And they signed up. And, then, and so as it got closer, because, you know, when, when you recommend something, you want to know how they liked it. So it, as it got closer, you know, I'm giving them tips and advice. And they go on this cruise. And they get back as soon as they're landside. I mean, they're, they're driving back from Galveston. I call them, hey, how was it? How was it? Thank me, you know. How was it? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> What? What do you mean it was fine? You mean you loved it? What do you mean it was, you loved it, right? No, it's fine. It was, it, was, it was great. Man, Cancun was really pretty. Cancun was pretty. No, I know, but the cruise. How did you like the cruise? Like, did you, did you go to the shows? No, nah, no, we didn't really do shows. Not our thing. Didn't do shows. Magician, though. You saw the magic, right? The magic tricks. I mean, the way he made that appear out of nowhere. That was amazing, right? On a boat in the ocean. <laughs> no, no, it, uh, we didn't see... We didn't see the ma magician. Wait, okay. I mean, but did you, you hit the basketball court, tennis court, track? Did you do those things? No, I didn't do those things. Man, tell me you played bingo because you get prizes. <laughs> didn't, didn't do bingo. But you sang karaoke, right? <laughs> no, karaoke, that's just not really, that's not really our thing. So, so basically, you went on a seven-day boat ride. That's what you did. 
to Cancun. Like you basically went to Cancun as slow as somebody could possibly go to Cancun. That's what you did. Is that, that's what's going on. You, you didn't enjoy the journey. You just wanted to get to the destination. Now imagine with me, we get to the destination. We're, we're in heaven. And we get to talk to people in heaven. We get to talk to the apostle Paul, Peter. Maybe we get to talk to this young man. And Paul's like, man, wasn't it amazing down there? How every day you could fellowship with Jesus? Really up here, we just do more of that. And it's in the most amazing way because he's there. We can see him and talk to him, but it's, it's an extension of what we got to do. Didn't you enjoy that so much? Oh, you didn't. Oh, you were busy. You're busy, you're busy with the worldly stuff. I got you. But wasn't it amazing how we could lose all things for the sake of Christ, Paul writes? Consider them rubbish. Isn't it great, like down there in the world, that we didn't have to play the game that all the, the other people, the worldly people played? Like we weren't building our kingdoms because we knew the king was. Wasn't that great? thought that stuff was going to last forever. And maybe this little boy walks up, interrupts the conversation. But isn't it amazing, though, that down there when everybody was trying so hard to be liked and to be known and to be loved and to be remembered forever, that we didn't have to do that because we knew what life was all about. Like We didn't have to try so hard to be the star of the movie. Tell me you didn't do that. You know you didn't have to do that. Jesus is the star. So my prayer is just that we would know that. Let me pray. Father, help us to know that we can live by faith. That we can have the faith today and tomorrow and for the rest of our days to follow your son, Jesus Christ, whose example you've given us. Father, help us to know that we can have the faith to forego the things of this world for the sake of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have faith that we would use to be forgotten, not to try so hard to be remembered. And thank you, Lord, that we're not forgotten in your mind, that we were born in your mind and that we will live for eternity with you if we've trusted in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.